Tonight, we welcome the coolest man in the galaxy. We look at who got nominated for Emmy Awards, and we say goodbye to one of the great comic creators. All this and more on this edition of Multiverse Tonight! There are many universes out there. Welcome to the one with news about all the others. This is Multiverse Tonight. Now, here's your host, Thomas Townley. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Multiverse Tonight, where we look at all your geeky universes. I'm your host, Thomas Townley, and I've been watching the show stats, most of which are from here in the United States. The most surprising stat so far was someone listened to one of the episodes from Sweden. Very cool. I would really like a listener in Australia. Can someone make that happen for me? Get me a listener in Australia? Of course, uh, I, I'm just as happy that you've chosen to listen. So thank you, and please share the show with others. I also have a new way that you can help me pay for the podcast, and I'll talk about it later in the show. Now, by the way, if you donate to my Ko-fi or uh, Patreon from now to the end of July, half of any contribution goes to the comic book Legal Defense Fund. So give generously, and thank you. Now, I'm going to start this episode with a uh, short review of the first volume of Port of Earth from the Top Cow imprint of Image Comics, written by Zach Kaplan and with art by Andrew Moody and colorist Vladimir Popov. In 2017, aliens calling themselves the Consortium arrive and make contact with Earth. They don't want much, they just want to set up a fueling station for ships that are coming out this way in the galaxy. Because Earth has what has what they need to power the ships, water. In exchange for uh, Earth giving them the water, they give Earth the, the spec plans how, on how to turn water into power. Now, for a while, it, things are pretty quiet. Aliens stay at the sta- spaceport. You just, sh- ships just come in and land and take off. And then, one day, three aliens mysteriously leave the spaceport, and an intergalactic incident occurs. That's when we learn that the consortium just sets up these stations. They're not responsible for security. Earth is responsible for its own security. Enter the ESA, the Earth Security Agency. The comic follows their adventures as they try to keep the aliens and humanity safe from each other. Now, uh, let me just say that this was not really what I expected when I bought it. This is a lot more of a police procedural than the straight sci-fi I was looking for. That said, the story isn't too bad. There's a lot of narration at the start, and then we meet Agents Rice and McIntyre as they try to locate an alien that seems to be leading them somewhere. I hate to say this, but I just wasn't that interested in the story. It might be good for someone else, but just not for me. The artwork 
is also very gray, mostly gray, with splashes of color every now and then. It makes the whole thing look uh, rather bleak. Now, uh, again, not really what I was looking for. Uh, every now and then there is a splash of color. That's not what I'm looking for. Just kind of depressing. This, the uh, best part of this trade paperback is the ESA database that is at the end of the book. I like the way, I like the way the designs uh, of the aliens on their ships. Now, uh, will I buy volume two? Mm, no, it's just not me. I like the concept. I just wasn't really sold on the execution. However, if you'd like a sci-fi police procedural, this might be for you. Now, let's look at some Star Trek news. Now, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil has done a fair share of directing since he left Voyager. Directing not only Voyager, but directing Enterprise as well. Last year, he even directed uh, The Orville. Recently, he was asked if he had any interest in directing an episode of Discovery. His response, quote, I wanted to direct Discovery. I met with their producing director. I didn't know the show that well, but I met with him on their, their last hiatus to talk about season two. I also produce now. So I hire a lot of directors. The last few years, there's been a seismic shift in terms of the priorities toward female and diverse directors. That's reality now has meant that what used to be normal, which was a lot of white guys, to be honest, has changed. Some shows are mostly w women directing. I think Jessica Jones last year had all female directors. Handmaid's Tale, a woman may direct the next Star Trek movie. Most importantly, it's a wonderful get, wonderful thing that's happening. I'm proud that on other shows I produce, The Gifted, The Arrangement, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, I've brought in female directors. But to answer your question, Discovery does a limited number of episodes, and a priority there is to get female and device, the diverse directors. So there are fewer opportunities for people like me, which is a great thing. But yeah, if opportunity arose to direct Discovery, and I fit what they needed, and it fit my schedule, I'd love to do it." Unquote. So it seems he might have a better chance of directing one of those other Star Trek series that they're planning. Or maybe just a spot will open up in a future season. You never know. In a new video update, producer and former Star Trek Deep Space Nine showrunner Iris Stephen Bear confirmed that editing on the documentary What We Left Behind, looking back, at Star Trek Deep Space Nine is complete, and that it will see a release sometime this year during the 25th anniversary of the beloved series. No specific release date was given, as there is still work to be done on the post-production side of things, such as clip licensing, scoring, and some HD remastering of a few clips. The documentary was crowdfunded on Kickstarter last year. I donated and I am so looking forward to this release. A little bit of sad news. Uh, former Star Trek guest star Roger Perry has passed away at the age of 85. Perry was a guest star on the Star Trek TV series in the memorable first season episode in 1967, Tomorrow's Yesterday, playing Captain John Christopher, the uh, predecessor of the first man 
on I believe it was Saturn. He appeared. He uh, Roger Perry also appeared on Love American Style, Ironside, The FBI, Y Five O, Barnaby Jones, Bob Newhart Show, Quincy Chips, The Fall Guy, and many more before becoming a regular on programs such as The Facts of Life and Falcon Crest. He co-starred with Pat O'Brien in the 1960 ABC series Harrigan and Son, and co-starred with Chuck Connors and Ben Gazzara in the 90-minute drama Arrest and Trial. His movie credits include Follow the Boys with Connie Francis, Roller Boogie with Linda Blair, The Thing with Two Heads with Ray Milan and Roosevelt Greer, and Cat and Count Yorga, which both starred Craig T. Nelson and Maria Hartley. Now let's move on to Star Wars news. After months of speculation, it's been confirmed. The coolest man in the galaxy is returning for Episode 9. The Hollywood Reporter has confirmed that Billy Dee Williams will be returning to the Star Wars galaxy as Lando Calrissian. Now that Han is gone, I wonder if he wants the Falcon back. Hmm. The release date for Star Wars The Solo Story to hit store shelves on Blu-ray and DVD has finally been revealed, may have been revealed. The DigitalBits.com retail sources have given a release date of September 25th. Now, details about some exclusives have come to light recently, with Best Buy releasing a first look at the 4K Ultra HD Steelbook shining the spotlight on a yet undamaged Millennium Falcon, while Target revealed that its exclusive Blu-ray bundle will include a miniature Millennium Falcon figure. Thousands, if not millions of people, are waiting for the opening of Star Wars Land at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. We've gotten new details about a special entrance into the park for those who are staying in the Star Wars themed hotel. According to permits filed with the South Florida Water Management District, the Orlando Sentinel reports guests of the new hotel will be able to make a short drive from the Hollywood Studio parking lot over Drainage Canal to get to the main hotel entrance. In addition to driving, pedestrians will also be able to walk to a special entrance that will put guests between the Millennium Falcon and Battle Escape attractions. According to plans revealed on WDW News today, the hotel itself will be limited will have limited on-site parking. However, it seems valet parking will be made available. The hotel will be located east of World Drive on the south side of Hollywood Studios. The new hotel still has no confirmed name or opening date and there are no official photos as of yet. I'm sure there are plenty of fans waiting for the details. Now, after the release of Star Wars Episode 1, there was a lot of hate for a certain character. Not whiny Anakin Skywalker, but the comic relief character of Jar Jar Binks. Ahmad Best, the actor behind the character, or should we say under it, as he actually wore a Jar Jar head on top of his so that the other actors had the correct place to look, has revealed that he almost considered suicide after the backlash from fans and the media following the film. On July 3rd, he wrote on Twitter, quote, 20 years next year, I faced a media backlash. 
that still affects my career today. This was the place I almost ended my life. It's still hard to talk about. I survived, and now this little guy is my gift for survival. Would this be a good story, story for my solo show? Let me know. Unquote. Since then, Ahmad has thanked fans for the support he has received since then writing on Twitter. Quote, Thank you for all your love and kindness. It's been overwhelming. I'm going to start writing this show. Going to need help because I've never done this before. I'll be trying stuff out and posting it here. Let folks know. Thanks for all your support. It means so very much to me. Unquote. Don't blame yourself, Ahmad. I kind of like Jar Jar. I lay the blame on George Lucas, the real Phantom Menace. Now, before we move to, on to Multiverse to, uh, um, on to Marvel News, Multiverse Tonight is now available on the Radio Public app. It's a free, easy to use listening app that, is also, that also financially supports podcasters like me with a short pre-roll and post-roll ad. You can listen to this and future episodes of Multiverse Tonight with the Radio Public app. We will provide a link to it in our show notes, and thanks for supporting us. Now, Marvel News. Time for what seems to be the regular Stan Lee update. If you remember last time, a temporary restraining order had been issued against Kia Morgan, the memorabilia collector who had become Stan Lee's business ma uh, business manager and partner. Well, last week the restraining order had been was lifted after the judge ruled that lawyer Tom Lalas, who had asked for a 30-day extension on the order, was now employed by Stan Lee. A new lawyer, Stephen Crump, who had been hired by Stan Lee's daughter, J.C. Lee, filed and was granted a new restraining order. In the application, Crump alleges that Morgan made malicious and false remarks against Lee's daughter to Lee and prevented Lee's financial advisors from seeing him. The order bars Morgan from coming within 100 yards of Lee, his daughter, or, Lee, or Stan's brother, Larry Lieber. Lee's new lawyers said that they would also work with police and prosecutors in an elder abuse investigation involving Morgan. Mr. Morgan told the Associated Press via a text message that he was in New York working on the film. On the advice of his lawyer, he declined to comment further. Now, following this last restraining order move, we've learned that Stan has dismissed the billion-dollar lawsuit against POW Entertainment for fraud and conversion. In a statement given to the media, Stan wrote, quote, The whole thing has been confusing to everyone, including myself and the fans. I am now happy to be surrounded by those who want the best for me. I am thrilled to put the lawsuit behind me, get back to business with my friends and colleagues at POW, and launch the next wave of amazing characters and stories. POW CEO Shane Duffy added, quote, We are ecstatic that this ill-founded lawsuit has been dismissed, and we look forward to working with Stan again to develop and produce the great projects that were put on hold when the lawsuit was filed. We recently got together with Stan to discuss our path forward and we, and parrot company Cam Seng, are pleased with this overwhelmingly enthusiastic reaction. Now, this kind of leads you to believe that Kia Morgan might have been behind the initial lawsuit, and with Mr. Morgan uh, now out of the way, Stan's new representation saw fit 
to end this lawsuit. POW also announced that they have regained control of Stan's Twitter account. The following was released on Stan's official webpage. Quote, to help Stan continue the tradition started with Stan's soapbox, POW's social media team created and has for years solely managed the real Stan Lee Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts, as well as the Facebook page Real Stan Lee, with Stan Lee's participation and approval. But recently, access and management of the Twitter account was temporarily out of our and Stan's control. That situation has now been rectified. Stanley's social media accounts are once again being exclusively managed by POW with Stan's participation. Unlike recent statements that were, that were falsely presented in Stan's voice, we want to assure you of our promise to, completely to be completely transparent and honest with you. The fans, POW, would never want to break your trust and put you in a position where you are unsure of Stan's participation in his social media. Unquote. Now, from this time forward, if you see a tweet that has at the end a a the word Stan after it, that is Stan Lee dictating that quote directly. That is a direct quote. That is a direct tweet from Stan Lee. So, in the future, mm, look for the Stan Lee sign off. When you are reading your Twitter feed. Okay, I'll stop now. And uh, this past Thursday, a new video of Stan was put up on his Twitter account. Quote, I'm back. He also promised that this video would be the first in a new series saying, quote, I'm warning you, I'm back again with new energy and new care and new protestations of the fact that I love my fans, unquote. Let's just hope that we are nearing the end of the controversy surrounding Stan that this past year since the death of his wife, Joan. He's like everyone's grandpa. Now, news came down the web that Nicolas Cage will be putting on a Spider-Man suit, favorably, for the upcoming animated Spider-Man animated film. He will be voicing Spider-Man Noir, which is a version of Spider-Man that has a darker take on the Marvel hero who comes from around the Great Depression in the 1930s. Cage will be joined by Shamik Moore as Spider-Man slash Miles Morales, Jake Johnson as Peter Parker, Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, and Marshala Ali as Michael's uncle Aaron. The film will follow a young Miles Morales who's introduced to the Spider-Verse, where there's more than one Spider-Man. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse comes out on December 14th in the UK and the US, and December 26th in Australia. Kate Shortland has been tapped to direct Marvel's Black Widow standalone movie starring Scarlett Johansson, sources confirmed to Variety. The film has been in development for a while, but picked up momentum in January when Jack Schaefer was tapped to pen the script, Kevin Feige is producing this movie. Marvel has had no comment on this news, most likely saving it for San Diego Comic-Con. Signs are pointing towards Comcast abandoning its bid 
for 21st Century Fox's assets. Comcast has just raised its bid for European pay TV giant Sky. In a report by Deadline.com, Comcast is reportedly putting, putting forth a new bid of $34 billion for that service, hours after Fox put in another bid of $32.5 billion. Fox currently owns 39% of the European company and has been angling the purchase the remaining 61%. It would make sense for Comcast to go after something that's easier to acquire since it's currently not winning the bid for the rest of 21st Century Fox. We have also gotten a new tease, a new Marvel Comics series, The Superior Octopus. Little is said in the teaser, except, quote, Doc October starts and ends here, unquote. I'm going to guess we'll get a lot more San Diego Comic-Con, and I hope to bring you a lot of news from San Diego Comic-Con, possibly next week. Watch your feed. If uh, a new episode, if I decide to do a new episode next week for just for San Diego Comic-Con, you'll see it there. Now, on to some DC news. Just when you thought it was safe to merge, Trump's Department of Justice has announced that they will be appealing the merger of Comcast and Time Warner. CNBC reports that court documents were filed this past Thursday with AT&T lawyer David McAtee saying that the company was surprised by the appeal. A federal judge had ruled back in June that to make a merger was legal and decided it would impose no conditions on the merger. However, the Department of Justice said at the time that the deal would make the pay TV market, quote, less competitive and less innovative, unquote. The companies merged, thinking that the Department of Justice was just going to let it go, but apparently not. This might really complicate Comcast going after Scott, uh, Fox's assets and why they're going after Sky right now. Shazam! Bam, didn't work. Anyway, the first photo of the character from the new DCU film has been released. I wish we could just call the character Captain Marvel now, again. But Shazam is seen for the first time in all his splendor. We will reportedly get our first footage of the movie at the Warner Brothers Hall H panel at Comic-Con International. Stay tuned to our Twitter feed for when that arrives. Shazam! is set to hit theaters on April 5th, 2019. DC's other two movies currently on the way are Aquaman, which arrives on December 21st, and Wonder Woman 1984, which is scheduled to debut on November 1st, 2019. Now, we've known for some time that Batman has been keeping files on all the metahumans in the DC Universe, just in case he needs to take them down. Well, now we can get a peek into those files with DC Comics' Anatomy of a Superhero, a new reference book coming out in September from Inside Editions. The book is written by S.D. Perry and Matthew Manning. The book will have an extensive set of chapters covering members of the Justice League like Superman and Aquaman, and the biggest villains of the multiverse like Darkseid and Doomsday. The beautiful anatomical artwork is provided by Ming Doyle. The book is presented as something that came directly from Batman's archives. Now, you can pre-order it now, and if you use my Amazon Associates link, 
you can help pay for this show. Just find that link on our website or in our show notes. Now, DC has also put forth another reason to subscribe to its DC Universe subscription service, coming later this year. Batman, the animated series, will be released on the service in high definition for the first time ever. There is no word on if this is a full remaster or just an increase in resolution, or if it will be in the standard 4x3 aspect ratio, or it will be cropped into the 16:9 ratio that current televisions use. I guess we'll have to wait and see for sure. The television adaptation of FX's Y, The Last Man on Earth, is moving forward with some big casting news. FX has announced Brian Keegan from Dunkirk and The Killing of a Sacred Deer will star as Yorick, while Lane from Justice League will play his mother, Senator, Gen- Senator uh, Jennifer Brown. They're uh, joined by Imogene Poots from The Green Room as York's tough-talking paramedic sister hero, Lashana Lynch, Lynch from Captain Marvel as Agent 355, a deadly Secret Service agent, Juliana Caulfield as, York, as York's girlfriend Beth, who is unlike in the comics, is described as, quote, a Brooklyn-based knife maker, unquote, and Marin Ireland from Hell or High Water as Nora, the present senior assistant and right hand. Nora wasn't a big character in the comics, but it sounds as if she's been given more focus in the adaptation. No word yet on when filming or a possible launch date. The Joker origin film starring Joaquin Phoenix is moving forward at Warner Brothers. The film, which doesn't have a title yet, according to The Hollywood Reporter, is expected to go into production in September, which would put in put it in for a possible late 2019 release slot. Todd Phillips, who co-wrote the script with Scott Silver, is set to, set to direct the movie, which is described as a tra- crime drama and described as, quote, an exploration of a man disregarded by society that is not only a gritty character study, but also a broader cautionary tale, unquote, and has a budget of $55 million. Now, This is just one of the several films that Warner Brothers is working on featuring the character of the Joker. Others include Jared Leto's version, who will show up in Harlequin, Birds of Prey, Suicide Squad 2, a Joker and Harley film separate from the Harlequin one, and another solo project with Leto not only starring, but producing. They haven't been made yet, but I'm... Starting to get pretty sick of that white-faced clown. Doesn't help that when they describe Joaquin's movie as a crime drama, I think Law and Order, Gotham. And this just in, today, the CW has announced that it's developing a Batwoman solo series set in the Arrowverse. The show will debut in 2019, should it get picked up. Uh, Caroline Caroline Dries who wrote and produced The Vampire Diaries, will executive produce and write the show. Also, in an EP role will be, of course, Greg Berlanti, Sarah Schnechter, and Jeff Johns. If the show gets to pick up, this will be Berlanti's seventh CW show and his 15th overall. Now, let's get into some geek news. 
C2E2 in Chicago had announced a change in their 2019 dates. The convention had been planned for the same dates as Kansas City's Planet Comic Con and Anaheim's WonderCon on the weekend of March 24th, 2019. C2E2 moved its dates up one week to March 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. 2019. Read Pop event director Mike Armstrong said it was due to several factors from Star Wars Celebration at the same location in April, but also access to more of the convention center. There are multiple considerations when changing the dates on a convention of this size, said Read Pop event director Mike Armstrong. Shifting one week earlier allows C2E2 to spread out over more of McCormick Place makes hotel rooms more readily available for fans and puts us in a better position to get big-name talent and exhibitors that our fans want to see." Unquote. Planet Comic Con tweeted on the news, quote, Our friends at C2E2 have announced that they have moved the 2019 dates to March 22nd, 24th. At Planet Comic Con, Kansas City will be held on March 22nd to the 31st. And we are pleased there is no longer a conflict between the dates of our respective shows. We look forward to great success for everyone." Unquote. Now, if you'd like me to go cover C2E2 in the future, feel free to tip me on my Ko-fi or Patreon pages. It's official, Hawkeye actor Jeremy Renner is going, is, uh, going to be in Todd McFarlane's Spawn reboot. He's been cast as Detective Twitch Williams, alongside Jamie, Lee, Jamie Foxx's title character. The news has, was exclusively announced to Deadline.com. McFarlane, who both ran direct, told Deadline, quote, As a first-time director, I want to surround myself with the most talent and the most skilled people I can on all fronts. I was lucky enough to land Jason Bloom and then Jamie Foxx. I knew the person on, on, on the screen the most is this police officer, Twitch Williams. We needed as strong a person as possible because he will be the face of the film. I took my naive Hollywood approach again and let's start and said let's start at the top and work down. Jeremy was on the top. I'm a huge fan of his. The character doesn't need to be a bodybuilder or GQ handsome. I was looking for somebody who's a person you've met before. I need someone who can pull off the grief of an average human being. I've seen Jeremy do that in more than a few of his movies. He was on the top, at the top of my list, just like Jamie. Todd then compared Spawn to King Arthur and Twitch to Sir Lancelot. McFarlane said the next step will be to lock a distributor to set the financing on the film that will likely carry a 10 to 12 million dollar budget, an R rating, and franchise potential. A uh, Sir, I, I, I uh, suggest Warner Brothers. They seemed like grimdark superheroes. A television adaptation of Valiant Comics, Quantum and Woody, has found a TV home at TBS. The series will be executive produced by Joe and Anthony Russo and Mike Blacuca. Andrew Barrer and Gabrielle Ferrari, who wrote Ant-Man and the Wasp, will write the show's pilot. The comic was created by Christopher Priest and Mark Bright in 1997 and follows two adoptive brothers, Eric Henderson and Woodrow, Woody Van Chelton, who come together years later to solve the murder of their father. 
other. While investigating the murder, they gain superpowers. The good side? They can generate energy bolts and summon protective shields. The bad side? If they don't slap the male wristbands together that th they carry together at least once a day, they'll dissolve at the molecular level. No word yet on when this show will come out. In the Everything from the 80s Needs to be Rebooted file comes new news that Robocop will be, re will be rebooted by director Neil Blomkamp, who made the acclaimed District 9. The original Robocop starred Peter Weller as the part man, part robot, all cop, titular character, and was directed by Paul Verhoeven and written by Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner. Robocop Returns will be written by upcoming Terminator screenwriter Justin Rhodes and will, and will ignore the previous entries and the 2014 reboot. Now, given that the original was set in a rundown Detroit, shooting in the real Detroit will probably be too rundown to be believable. Now, the Emmy nominations have been announced, and there are quite a few nominations for genre TV. Westworld and Stranger Things are up for Best Drama. The USS Callister episode of Black Mirror came away with seven nominations, including Outstanding Cinematography for a Miniseries or Movie, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Lifted Series or Movie for Jesse Plemons, Outstanding Writing, Outstanding Sound Editing, Outstanding Made for Television Movie, Outstanding Music Composition, and Outstanding Single Camera Picture Editing. Star Trek Discovery received two technical Emmy nods for Outstanding Sound Editing and Prosthetic Makeup, and Star Wars Rebels and A Series of Unfortunate Events got nods for Best Children's Programming. Game of Thrones got 22 nominations. Westworld came in second with 21 nominations, for, including two for Best Actor in the Drama and Best Actress nomination. Rick and Morty even got an Emmy nomination for the Pickle Rick episode. Pickle Rick! Too bad the Orville didn't get any nominations. Well, I guess there's always next year. We end tonight saying goodbye to one of comic books parts. On June 29th, New York City Police confirmed the death of legendary comics artist and co-creator of Spider-Man and creator of Doctor Strange, Steve Ditko. Stephen J. Ditko was born in Johnstown, Pennsylvania on November 2nd, 1927. He developed an interest in comics from his father, who loved Prince Valiant, and from Batman and the Spirit, which both debuted as he entered his teens. After he graduated high school, Ditko would serve in the army in post-war Germany, drawing from a military newspaper. After, after being discharged, he would move to New York City in 1950 and studied under Batman artist Jerry Robinson and cartoonist at the Cartoonist and Illustrator School. By 1953, Ditko was getting work as a professional comics artist, including the studio of Captain America creators Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. He began drawing for Marvel Comics forerunner uh, Atlas Comics in 1955. He had a successful collaboration with Stan Lee at first, as the pair worked on a number of science fiction stories together. In 1961, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee created Spider-Man. Stan, who was the editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics, had Ditko the assignment after he wasn't happy with Jack Kirby's take on the idea of a teenage superhero with spider powers. Everything about the look of Spider-Man, from the costume, the web shooters, to the red and blue design, 
came from the mind of Ditko. Spider-Man first appeared in Action Fantasy number 15, and the comic was such an unexpected hit, the character was spun off into The Amazing Spider-Man. Ditko then helped create such classic Spider-Man characters as Dr. Octopus, Sandman, the Lizard, and the Green Goblin. Starting with issue number 25, Ditko received a plot credit in addition to his artist credit. Ditko's run ended with issue number 38. Two years later, in 1963, Steve Ditko created the Master of the Mystic Arts, Dr. Stephen Strange, in Strange Tales number 110, and Ditko would continue on the comic through issue number 146. After a fight with, with Stan Lee, Steve left Marvel Comics, but the argument was over was never explained, and the pair had not been on speaking had not been speaking terms for several years. Ditko never explained his side, and Lee claimed not to know what really motivated Ditko's exit. The best explanation that has been put forth suggests that Ditko was getting frustrated with Lee's oversight, and that Ditko didn't think Stan was properly sharing credit for Ditko's contributions to Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Kirby thought Lee was more interested in self-promotion than selling the company, and in the process implied that he deserved the lion's share of the credit for creating the characters in the Marvel Universe. Steve Ditko would then go on to work for Charlton and DC Comics and other small independent publishers. He would return to Marvel in 1979, where he worked on Machine Man and the Micronauts. In the 90s, he continued working for them as a freelancer, and one of his last creations was Squirrel Girl, who debuted in 1992. Ditko maintained a Manhattan studio until his death, where he continued to write and draw, though how much and how much unpublished material remains is unknown. Ditko has no known survivors. He is believed to have never been married. Steve Ditko, legendary comics artist, dead at the age of 90. The Tulsa Wizard World Convention has finally added some media guests, including Ron Perlman, Holly Marie Combs, Brian Krauss, and Bra Drew Fuller from Charmed, and the fonts himself, Henry Winkler. Multiverse Tonight has an affiliate code with Wizard World Conventions. Just use the code MULTIVERSE for 20% off admission to any 2018 Wizard World show. And be sure to check our social media, Twitter, at Multiverse.com, and on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contribute some money, please do so at ko-fi.com slash multiverse, or on Patreon as well. And if you're a subscriber, Please be sure to share us with all your friends. And if you're brand new to the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a comment and let us know how we're doing. Special thanks to Libo Loco for our uh, for our theme music. Thanks for watching Multiverse tonight. We'll be back in two weeks. Now please exit the universe in an orderly fashion. Good night. Multiverse Tonight is a production of Half-Baked Genre Productions, copyright 2018. All rights reserved.